BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Today, Friday, January 12, two big winter storms, members of Congress, one former president and one president's son, all swooped into Washington this week, and it's hard to say which one stirred up the most controversy. Hunter Biden pulled off the biggest surprise, maybe, showing up at a hearing of the House Oversight Committee and volunteering to testify in public right then and there. They said no, he left. Republicans voted to hold him in contempt of Congress anyway. Although not required to, Donald Trump also showed up. He showed up in court where his lawyer actually argued that as president, Trump could actually order the assassination of a political opponent and still not be charged with a crime which may be hard even for Clarence Thomas to defend. And Mike Johnson learned that a long holiday vacation didn't do much to settle down the most extreme members of his caucus who are determined to oppose his budget deal with McConnell and Schumer, even if it leads to a government shutdown. Hey, friends, (laughs) haven't we seen this movie before? Not so long ago. Meanwhile, on the cusp of the Iowa caucuses, Chris Christie drops out of the Republican running, but will his exit have any more impact on the race than his entrance did? Well, it's fun to watch, and it's fun to talk about with a lively panel of Washington reporters we've got for you today. Joining us, Amanda Becker, Washington correspondent for 19th News. Hello, Amanda. Welcome back. Hello. Good to be here. Sudeep Bredi, Senior Managing Editor of Politico, and uh, since we've last talked, a new dad of a new son, Jay, joining the uh, Bill Press Pod family. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Indeed. Your, your duties have gotten a little bit, bu- your days have gotten a little busier, I'm sure. And nights, too, for sure. They huh? have. They have. Jason Dick, also joining us, Editor-in-Chief of CQ Roll Call. Hi, Jason. Morning, everybody. Okay, here we go. So um, let's start with Hunter. It was quite a scene at the House Oversight Committee. Uh, Amanda, he was not invited to attend. Why did he show up? Well, I think he wanted the American people to hear directly from him because that was his whole thing, that if he was going to talk to the committee, he wanted it to be in public. Of course, Republican leaders wanted to be wanted it to be in private. And um, we saw the fireworks <laughs> that, that occurred um, when he <laughs> I mean, we had uh, him being accused of uh, by by white Republican lawmakers of, of white privilege, um, which didn't sit well with some of the Democrats. Uh, of color. Um, he, you know, was, had, um, other slurs thrown at him. So, um, it was a really kind of another explosive day on Capitol Hill. Well, Jason, um, you know, the language on the Hill now, uh, holds no bounds, so we don't have to be too careful anymore on a podcast either, but 
I thought it was interesting that Nancy Mace accused him of not having any balls by showing up. I thought it took a lot of balls to show up. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I, I don't even know where to start um, with with the uh, you know what we saw on Wednesday. I mean, it was it was the oversight committee where which is where Hunter showed up, uh, but also the judiciary committee. They they also approved their own articles contempt of, of Congress. And I I mean, getting back to the language thing, you know, where you know as, as Amanda said, you know, they accused uh, you know uh, Hunter Biden of of white privilege. I feel like I mean. In another life before journalism, I was teaching English and you can always tell the kids that are just using words that they find in a thesaurus that they may not understand. <laughs> and there, I think I feel like there's a lot of that. There's just this grab bag, uh, you know, of, of words that they think will shake people up or, you know, motivate people or just really show other people. And it's not it's just it's not really helpful, uh, you know, to, to to try to figure out. But that's also not the point, because at the same time, you know, that they were that the these two committees were approving these contempt resolutions. They were uh, the members were busy voting down a, another rule <laughs> on the floor. So there was not a lot of legislating, but there's a lot of spectacles. And let's also not forget the same day they had the first hearing for impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. So it was impeachment contempt of Palooza on Wednesday. It, it was indeed. And Sudeep, one interesting thing is, as the Democrats were quick to point out, they were meeting to discuss holding Hunter Biden in contempt for failing to um, respond to a committee subpoena when, in fact, there were several Republicans who still had not responded to their subpoenas issued by Congress. That point made pretty artfully, I felt, by Congressman Jared Moskowitz from Florida. Here he is. Listen, I'll I'll make this bipartisan. I'll vote for the Hunter contempt today. You can get my vote. You can get my vote. But I want you to show the American people that you're serious. Here is the subpoena to Representative Scott Perry, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Mark Meadows, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Jim Jordan, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Mo Brooks, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Mr. Biggs, who did not comply. And here's the subpoena to Mr. McCarthy, who did not comply. There's an amendment coming to add some of those names into the contempt order. You vote to add those names, and I'll vote for the Hunter Biden contempt. So, Deep, maybe a tad of, uh, back to Jason's point, a big word, hypocrisy in the whole deal? And that that was the point, and that's what uh, <laughs> Democrats are, are trying to show here, but it also shows... I, th- I think, importantly, how Hunter Biden has listened to advisors, followed advice, and actually uh, tried to get the upper hand in this en- entire saga and ordeal. Uh, and for the f- first time in a while, I've seen the politics actually potentially working uh, in his favor instead of against him uh, by showing up and creating the photo op and uh, irritating the people who were trying to irritate him. And so he, he knew how to, how to play this in a way that uh, that I think actually has pretty significant implications about Republicans' ability to, to drive this uh, throughout the year, because it probably won't work if this is how he's going to show up. Yeah, well, on that point, uh, Amanda, um, we, uh, let's just say that watching James Comer and Jim Jordan conduct these two committee here, committees over the last year or so uh, with our targets uh, of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden or Joe Biden through Hunter or Joe Biden through Hunter, right? 
uh, it'd be hard to say that they've done a masterful job of making their case, right? <laughs> no, because uh, it's been such a, a circus. It's hard to even follow yeah. what's going on. And I'm glad you kicked that last one to Jason because I didn't know if I was allowed to say balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But in in another indication of just how bonkers this has all gotten, um, you know, I didn't notice this, but um, my colleague did. And um, uh, Representative Robert Garcia, um, he's a Democrat from California, actually ended up reciting a monologue from the finale of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City um, (laughs) during the House Oversight Committee hearing yesterday. Um, And I do not watch Salt Lake City. I'm a a Beverly Hills um, and New York only uh, Real Housewives girly. Um, But, you know, and he's like, (laughs) he, he, so he's literally, and I don't know if you've seen the show ever, uh, Bill, but, you know, they're always having these dinners where like they tip over tables and scream at one another. He literally was able to recite a monologue line for line and it made sense in the context. <laughs> Which says it all, all right? Yeah. Indeed. All right. So, uh, Jason, let's go on to the second big surprise that was pulled off in Washington this week. Again, hard to surprise people in Washington, but it was a surprise when Donald Trump walked into the courtroom in Washington, D.C., especially what his lawyer said. Again, let me start with you. Donald Trump was not forced to come into the court. He was not forced to. He was not required to be there. Why did he show up? Uh, e- easy. I mean, he sees that every time he appears in court or gets indicted, his support goes up. Uh, I mean, it's ah, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss uh, for exactly why. But, I mean, he is – he thinks that this works out well for him. Now, I mean, he he – you know, he came to Washington. He wasn't actually he didn't get kind of what he wanted, probably uh, in in court in at, uh, at the D.C. appeals court, uh, because you can't have cameras and, and, and so forth. And they had to go you know across the street, you know, to the to the hotel, to the old, uh, you know, to, to his hold, old hotel. Hold, yeah, his old hotel to hold this, you know, uh, kind of weird post, you know, uh, post court appearance uh, hearing or not hearing, uh, but uh, press appearance, and, and you know, and he didn't take any questions, and you just said I'm innocent and so forth. But it, you know, it, you could see what he was probably going for yesterday in New York at his civil fraud trial, when he was, you know, against, you know, the the agreed upon rules. He stood up and uh, you know accused the judge in closing arguments of perpetrating a fraud on him, and that's that's what he wants. He wants these moments, you know, where he can. Kind Kind of electrify his supporters and then go send everybody 25 emails asking for money to fight against the deep state. So that's why he, he wants the spectacle. And I think that, you know, I don't know what the point is where people say, like, I'm tuning this out. Um, but certainly the headline coming out of it with, you know, it'd be okay if he ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival if as long as the uh, the Senate doesn't convict him and throw him out of office is was the headline coming out of that. I don't know if that's the headline they were necessarily going for. Right, indeed. Uh, and Sudeep, at this um, pseudo-news conference or whatever it was um, at the hotel afterwards, uh, Donald Trump did repeat and make the same case as lawyers made in the courtroom uh, that as president, Uh, I can get away with uh, anything. Here is the former president. Do you agree with your lawyers what they said on Tuesday that you should not be prosecuted or could not be prosecuted if you ordered SEAL Team 6 to kill a political officer? Well, you're talking about a totally different case, the immunity. I say this, on immunity, very simple. If a president of the United States does not have immunity... 
he'll be totally ineffective because he won't be able to do anything because it will mean he'll be prosecuted, strongly prosecuted, perhaps, uh, as soon as he leaves office by his by the opposing party. Uh, Sudeep, I mean, isn't that so Nixon-esque, right? If the president does it, it can't be a crime. That is the immediate uh, name that came up the moment I heard him say that. Uh, it didn't work for Richard Nixon. It won't work for, for Donald Trump. Trump actually has other avenues that can win over the public here. And we saw that on display in the, in the courtroom by claiming this is all uh, a political vendetta, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but my God, claim, claiming that you can go do whatever you want and kill whoever you want as president and have no consequences is exactly the opposite of what will work with the American people there. And uh, I, I am uh, surprised he has not come up uh, with a better argument given how many lawyers he has working for him. Well, I guess, Amanda, maybe the answer is, my question to you, is this the answer that tr Trump doesn't care if he wins the argument or not? All he's really interested in is winning time. Yeah, absolutely. Also, in terms of like, why isn't he listening to his brilliant legal team? Um, I think we've seen that he no longer has access to the best of the best on that front. Um, and that, like, that, like Rudy Giuliani? And that <laughs> you know, a lot of his lawyers who have advised him the past few years are now, you know, facing their own legal problems related <laughs> to their defense. So, you know, I'm not sure he's like operating and kind of like with the, the top tier legal advice. I'm not sure he would listen to it even if he had it. I mean, this is a man who truly believes that all publicity is good publicity and he does things his own way. And, um, you know, I think that he thinks as long as he can delay this, get reelected again, um, it'll all be it'll all wash out. Oh, man. All right. Um, moving on. Another issue that captured Washington's attention this week. Uh, Jason, we have often heard of uh, members of the uh, armed services uh, going AWOL. Uh, we've never heard of a secretary of defense going AWOL. Uh, until this week, with Lloyd Austin failing to notify the White House, let alone the public, that he was uh, out of action uh, in the hospital at Walter Reed. Any consequences here? What's going on? What do you see? I mean, certainly there are. We're already seeing, you know, some of the effect that the, you know, the his his own office, the office of the Secretary of Defense, is in, is going over protocols of like what you know when the president, when the White House. Uh, should be notified, you know, like how they should be notified to what extent. There's an inspector general report of the Pentagon who is also looking into it. And, you know, what we know is that he went in for surgery for prostate, you know, cancer. He did transfer his duties to to uh, one of his deputies, but didn't inform the White House and also didn't inform the White House of what he had, you know, what, what sort of procedure he was going under. And then when he was readmitted, uh, for complications from that surgery, a urinary tract infection, he, you know, there, there was the, there was a communication breakdown. I think they're still sorting out who knew what when, and I mean, I, I get that there, there may be, you know, everybody's entitled to a, you know, to to privacy, but this is the Secretary of Defense, you know, managing, you know, like the 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 U.S. presence, the U.S. military presence amid, you know, some some very uh, uh, tricky situations in the Middle East and Ukraine. Uh, 
Um, and you know, I mean, it's no, it's no longer news to say members of Congress are upset. Uh, I mean, they're, they're upset at everything. They do have a point though here. And I mean, even, you know, it's not just Republicans who want some answers about what happened here. It's Jack Reed, the chairman of the armed services committee, you know, in, in the Senate, a Democrat from, from Rhode Island, not like a big, not a bomb thrower. And I think that we're, we're, we probably will see, you know, that there are, that there is at least some kind of clarification on how much information and to whom you provide it when you go under general anesthesia because he, that was the other thing too is he went under general yeah. um and 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 we'll we'll see that whether austin survives i you know who who knows at this point you know the president seems very loyal you know to his cabinet only one cabinet member has left at this point which is almost unheard of uh for for uh, a presidency even the most stable ones so i don't i don't i don't I can't imagine that Biden asks him for his resignation, uh, but I think that we're going to see some some clarification of the lines of communication. And also, I was just going to say that I mean, the staff should have known better too. <laughs> uh, I mean, like you know, the, the the secretary may have wanted you know some privacy. You know, maybe that's at the heart of this. But the staff has to be empowered to say, like, sir, you're you're in line to be president yourself. You you know you ha- you have a responsibility to disclose these things to the White House. Uh, by the way, I thought it was interesting. Uh, this morning, the Pentagon made sure that all the reports of the U.S. Uh, and our allies' attacks on the Houthi rebels in Yemen yesterday, that that assault was directed from Walter Reed Hospital by right. the Secretary of Defense. Right. <laughs> right. There we go. The clipboards were out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's back on the job. Uh, Sudeep, let's move on. Uh, to here we go again, deja vu all over again. We were told coming back into Congress, this was going to be kind of smooth sailing because Mike Johnson and Chuck Schumer and, and uh, uh, Mitch McConnell had all agreed on a plan, a funding plan to keep the government running, avoid a shutdown. And then uh, <clears throat> suddenly members of the Freedom Caucus said, hey, wait a minute, we got 12 votes and you don't. <laughs> uh, where are we heading, Sudeep? Yeah, same story. New leader. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> both remarkable and also unremarkable and fully expected that the same House Republicans would have the same kind of meltdown uh, with a different kind of leader. And uh, this is this is really not just a test for uh, for Mike Johnson, but also for the the caucus overall. Of are they really are they obviously capable of governing in the most basic way? And if they're not. Just go to the shutdown and show it, and let the let the American people see what happens, and uh, that will be the end of House Republicans in November. I don't I don't think uh, most of them recognize this. I do think that House Speaker recognizes this, uh, and how thin his margin is, and how the politics are going to turn against him if he doesn't figure out how to uh, get this group uh, to to simmer down. He could probably do a, uh, a continuing resolution, kick this whole thing past the election, and potentially even win a few more votes uh, to inoculate himself from some of these characters uh, in the next round of Congress. But uh, what a mess. And he's had months to figure out how to deal with it, and he has not. So uh, it, it's all on him now. Right. And so, um, Amanda, here, uh, to, just to, to show, uh, makes a deep point about members of the Freedom Caucus, how determined they are. Here's a little medley our producer, Jay Feldman, put together. So three three of the Freedom Caucus members, um, Warren Davidson from Ohio, Andy Ogles from Tennessee, Byron Donalds from Florida, 
all expressing their displeasure with Mike Johnson's um, lack of leadership. By the time we could even get back into D.C., he had negotiated the terms of our surrender. I want the speaker to start fighting for us and fighting for the American people, which means we have to close the border. You think the speaker's job is at risk? The way this place operates, I think everybody's job is at risk. This place is a joke. Whoa, Amanda, down the same rabbit hole as Kevin McCarthy? I mean, when the whole Kevin McCarthy debacle was happening, let's just call it, um, I kept saying over and over again, because we were kind of, you know, at the 19th, we focus on um, gender, so women in politics, and and everyone was like, why aren't there any women putting up their hand for this job? And I was like, because who would want this job? Like, maybe they're just <laughs> looking at it a little bit more closely. Um, and I truly don't know, because I, 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 I think this conference has shown itself over and over again to be kind of unleadable. Um, if that's a word, I'm not even sure that's a word. Maybe I, I just created now that. Now it is. Now it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, I absolutely think that Mike Johnson's uh, speakership is at risk um, because, you know, as we were just discussing, uh, he knows at least that like a shutdown would be devastating for them. Um, and yet there's a significant portion of his caucus or conference that uh, doesn't see that which leaves him the option of working with Democrats. But Johnson himself is so conservative and some of the, the programs he wants to cut money from um, is just not going to fly with Democrats. Like, you know, WIC for starters, the program for um, a, food, a food security program for women and, and young children. Um, and so I just, I just don't see, you know, next Friday's the deadline from everyone I've spoken to. They're expecting another CR of some type. Um, but at a certain point, we're going to be pushing up against the next fiscal year deadline. So at what point, you know, does this just become a complete dysfunctional mess? We might already be there. I was just going to say, I think we're already there. And speaking of a dysfunctional mess, um, yeah, what about the 2024 campaign? <laughs> That's pretty dysfunctional. And it's about to get even more so with the caucuses in Monday night in Iowa. Let's take a quick break and then come back and take a quick look at where we are in 2024 on the Republican side, especially. And today's Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, the great men and women teachers of America under the leadership of Randy Weingarten and the members of the AFT. Uh, I, I really believe um, not... not <laughs> not saying anything bad about any other profession that nurses and teachers are have the most important jobs in America, do the most important work. And every one of us owes, I think, where we are today to some good teacher that helped us along the way. So we salute uh, the members of the AFT, whether it's preschool, K through 12, or higher education, uh, and thank them for their great work in the classrooms every day, outside the classrooms, working with parents and teachers uh, to make sure they get the best, edu best education possible. Uh, and we direct you to their website, aft.org, to find out more about their great work. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes 
without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with today's podcast uh, on the Bill Press Pod. Today's reporters roundtable joining us, Jason Dick, editor-in-chief of CQ Roll Call, Sudeep Reddy, Senior Managing Editor of Politico, uh, and Amanda Becker, Washington Correspondent for 19th News. Just when uh, the attention was focused on Iowa, suddenly the political attention flashed back to New Hampshire with a surprise announcement Wednesday evening from former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. He said he wasn't going to do it, but he did. He bowed out with this uh, announcement. Because I want to promise you this. I am going to make sure that in no way do I enable Donald Trump to ever be president of the United States again. And that's more important than my own personal ambition. So, Sudeep, uh, had, did he make any difference in this race, getting in, running, or getting out? Uh, I don't know that he made any difference uh, getting in. Uh, getting out, but he has been an important voice, which I think will continue over the balance of the year in uh, just uh, battering Donald Trump. And that's what uh, Chris Christie is good at. He is a strong voice when it comes to that. He uh, he probably has an opportunity if any of the other candidates emerge to uh, become a cabinet secretary, obviously not under Trump. Uh, and so it, it, it's been useful to him uh, to, to do this in some way, um, whether getting out actually makes that much of a difference. I guess we got to see whether Nikki Haley can, can seize the moment and, and use that in a way that's meaningful in, uh, in New Hampshire. And, uh, first she has to deal with Iowa before that can happen. Amanda, you know, I, while I admire Chris Christie's courage, I, I, I have to wonder, I mean, maybe it was best known showing uh, courage, um, in the first presidential debate uh, in this 2024 GOP primary, when the question was asked, um, raise your hand if you would still vote for Donald Trump uh, if he were convicted of a felony. And Chris Christie refused to raise his hand. I mean, is that the new definition of courage, that you wouldn't vote for a, have a felon as the president of the United States? I, I mean, I think it is, at least within the Republican Party in the year 2024. 
I almost said 2023, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. The election year. Um, you know, I, I, I did notice, though, that I do think in the debate this week between DeSantis and Haley, um, certainly Haley was more critical of Trump than DeSantis. Now, she didn't go nearly as far as Christie had. Um, but I do think it'll be interesting to see um, if as these the primaries and the caucuses begin, she starts to do that more as a way to differentiate herself, especially because she's starting to lead DeSantis in some states. Um, and while she's still not close to Trump, that could be the only thing who might get her closer. Of course, she'd have to give up any vice presidential aspirations in the process. Right. Well, um <laughs> By the way, she has still not gone so far as to say, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think she has still said she would vote for Trump if Trump were the, were the nominee. And certainly uh, the governor of New Hampshire this week uh, surprised some people, who was a supporter of Nikki Haley, surprised some people when he said that even he, if Trump becomes a nominee and is convicted of a felony, that uh, Chris Sununu said he would still vote for Trump. Oh yeah, vote. no, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't see her going out of her way to change her answer on that question. Um, if she even had to answer it again, she would have to be uh, forced. <laughs> but, and I'm not, and I'm still not sure her answer would change um, because that's just where we're at in the Republican Party. I mean, Trump and Trumpism has such a hold over the party that, um, I mean, it. I mean, as we've been discussing, Chris Christie just dropped out. So look how that worked out for him. Yeah, indeed. Well, there was that CNN debate uh, mentioned by uh, uh, by Amanda about Sudeep. There was also the same time, uh, the same night at the same time, a town hall, Fox welcoming Donald Trump back live for the first time in two years uh, to the network we hear where he was almost there full time. Um, and uh, some interesting things came up, including Donald Trump commenting on the fact that he had a couple of days earlier said, he would hope there would be uh, a, that the economy would crash before he's reelected because he didn't want to be a num another Herbert Hoover. Uh, here is um, a little clip, uh, an ad rather, that the Biden campaign immediately put up in response to Trump's statement. Then get your comments on the other side. When there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during this next 12 months because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. The one president, I just don't want to be Herbert over. He's acknowledging that my economy is doing pretty darn well because he doesn't want that to continue. And by the way, the idea that he wants to see a crash in the next 12 months, doesn't want to be Herbert Hoover. He has to understand, he's already Herbert Hoover. He's the only other president that lost jobs during his term. <laughs> Maybe backfire, Sadiq? Yeah, the, the, the former <laughs> president is really just like laying the groundwork for him to be uh, to, to be smacked all across 2024 with his own words. He did it on this. He's done it on, uh, uh, on abortion, taking credit for Roe v. Wade. And you just think of this and, and wonder whether he's sat down and really processed anything from any of his advisors on, uh, on abortion rights, on the economy, on everything else. Why would you create all of this? It really just points to the the, the playbook that Biden will have, even before these comments, he'll have a playbook over uh, the key months uh, of this year for the general election uh, to basically take Donald Trump's words and just play them, just create uh, a supercut of his words and play them over and over again, and to find the words of his own advisors and former cabinet members who think he's 
uh, not fit to lead uh, the country and who think he will destroy the world. So if you've got friends like these, like that, that's, that's the issue that he's facing. And, and we will be seeing this from the, the Biden campaign uh, within months. Uh, and you know they're making a, a collection of every one of those comments, right? <laughs> Absolutely, know. they've got it, and they've got it ready, and they have uh, they have the ads ready, and they were they're going to roll out with them. You just know it, right? I, I thought it was interesting. Also, the president's comment, the current president's comment, that well, if he wants the economy to crash, he in, he in effect is admitting that the economy right now is pretty damn good, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, Amanda, the other comment, and I was going to play this anyway during the during that town hall uh, that I think Democrats um, were glad to hear Donald Trump say, and this will certainly be the subject of future ads, is when he was asked about this question of uh, choice and about women's freedom uh, and Donald Trump taking full credit for overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, Here he is. For 54 years, they were trying to get Roe v. Wade terminated, and I did it. And I'm proud to have done it. And we did something that was a miracle. Proud to have done it, Amanda. Are we going to hear that again in 2024? Here's the thing. Abortion is still going to be huge this November. It was last year. It continues to be. I think it's particularly salient at the state level. Um, Maybe not necessarily president. Um, Mm -hmm. Part of that is because... um, Biden and his administration haven't done a a ton in terms of concrete steps to protect reproductive rights. Um, But Trump is really going back and forth right now, because on the one hand, I think that he is politically astute enough to know that some of these restrictive laws that are being passed and enacted are not popular. The voters hate them. Um, You know, and just yesterday, a grand jury in Ohio declined to indict a woman who was charged Um, with a felony over her own miscarriage. Um, So he knows that these things are not popular. At the same time, uh, he knows that anti-abortion groups were critical to his success and, you know, delivering for that, you know, part of his base electorate matters. And so he's going to have to walk a line where he somehow both both takes credit um, for Roe being gone, but also, you know, tries to set the tone, a tone that shows that the party has some sort of empathy for women in difficult situations. In other words, he's, tr- he's really trying to have it both ways, isn't he? To be take total credit for Roe v. Wade and yet say, I'm not as crazy as some of those people in, 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 in the Republican Party. Oh, absolutely. And we're already seeing, though, that the anti-abortion groups, you know, they criticize some of his statements, but they're standing behind him. I think that they also understand the position that he's in. And they're not going to complain too loudly um, when he does try and have it both ways. So it's going to be up to the voters on the other side to decide if they believe what he's saying or not. And again, maybe the first test of that will come Monday night at the caucuses in Iowa, where the uh, real winner, it turns out, may be winter weather. Uh, the last time I checked, they were saying this morning that Monday's pr- predictions for Iowa, the Des Moines area, are life-threatening winter weather. <laughs> So that may that may change the, the minds of some people who had planned to get out to the caucus. We'll see how that plays out. And I, I have to say, we're very sorry to have left lost uh, uh, Jason Dick, uh, who lost his internet there uh, a few moments ago. 
We were trying to get him back, but it looks like we're not going to succeed. So we thank Jason anyway for joining us on today's program. Look forward to getting him back again soon. Uh, thanks to Amanda Becker from 19th News and Sudeep Reddy from Politico for joining us as well this morning. Uh, we won't let you go, though, until you share with us, Amanda and Sudeep, of all I mean, such a busy weeks on so many fronts as we've just seen. But um, be there something we have already talked about or not, uh, what turned out to be the favorite story that caught your attention this week, uh, Sudeep? C- certainly, my, my, my uh, there are a lot there are a lot of news, a lot of things to follow. But uh, a, a tiny slice of life uh, was a New York Times story about the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, uh, who has a secret Twitter account, a secret X account, oh, and has oh. been posting uh, uh, just like little generally minor messages uh, on this account. It's got her face on it. It's uh, Kimberl 26830376 that's now been uh, suspended, but um, where she she has basically been sharing her, her tiny views on the state of the race. Uh, she is against Trump. She's a DeSantis supporter. To see her like posting uh, reposting memes from De- DeSantis supporters to see her criticizing Trump in the lightest way. I just thought was uh, was like a, a, a kind of amusing sign of how uh, little people like this have been able to break through that she has to get her her voice out through an account like this or she has to like hmm. get her own her own system to, to to work like this to satisfy her own interests. It's just uh, kind of a fascinating. They're all just like us. Uh, why governors. was it shut? Why was it shut down? Uh, I think she probably doesn't want it to be, uh, to uh, be publicly known, but um, it, it has been confirmed as her own account, and it, uh, the few dozen posts that has had on there are uh, are included <laughs> some critiques of of uh, DeSantis's campaign strategy. So that's probably not the kind of thing that she she needs out out Got there. And uh, it's clear that she's been using a, a Twitter account for therapy, uh, but it's always funny when, <laughs> when people like this do this, including the former president. Using Twitter for therapy, uh, <clears throat> sign of the times indeed. Yeah, I missed that. Thanks, Adeep. Uh How about you, Amanda? What caught your attention? So mine just posted yesterday, late afternoon or perhaps evening. It is the latest Q&A that, um, in the New Yorker from Isaac um, Chotner. Does anyone know Isaac? I don't, I'm probably butchering his last name. Chotner, Chotney. Um, we don't know. Yeah. So yesterday, so I'm, I'm choosing this for yesterday specifically, but also his Q and A's over the past few months. Generally, um, Q and A is not normally a format I really like, um, because I think they're hard to do well. And he is masterful at Q and A's. Um, the latest one is uh, titled How the Biden Administration Defends Its Israel Policy. It's a Q&A with John Kirby, who is the spokesperson for the National Security Council. Um, in a lot like other Q&As that he's done, I actually don't know why people still agree to do them. Um, mm. Because he just has a way of asking questions where it's very clear that the person answering is talking in circles. Um, and he just kind of steps back and lets them um, indict themselves on certain issues. Um, so this one had some questions like that. There was one after Kissinger's death with a former head of the um, Council on Foreign Relations that was like this. So it was just interesting to see a spokesperson in their own words um, at length um, talk about things that we actually aren't getting a lot of um uh, you know, lengthy comment on otherwise in the in the news. So that one uh, was posted last night by the New Yorker. 
Yeah, good for you. I'll check that out. By the way, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he's a great addition to the uh, uh, to the New Yorker, uh, as you said, a sort of a a kind of uh, direct style journalism, maybe that we don't see any so much these days. Um, so thank you, um, Amanda, for that. And I got to have my <laughs> my own favorite moment of the week. I want to go back to where we started with that Hunter, that wild Hunter Biden hearing. There were several moments of that hearing that are that will go down in history books, maybe. Uh, un- sadly, Pramila, J- uh, Pramila Jayapal from Washington State <laughs> gave us one of those moments uh, in a little slip she made when she was saying, instead of tra- talking about Hunter Biden, we should be talking about Donald Trump and what he incited. Uh, here's her slip and her acknowledgement. If we're going to talk about outrageous things that have happened or things that have never happened, let's talk about the fact that President Trump incited an erection. Uh, and <laughs> maybe that too. <laughs> oh my gosh, I missed that one. Oh, it was a funny moment. And <laughs> to her credit, she laughed. The entire committee laughed. Uh, somebody else hollered out, yeah, let's talk about that too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I bet Donald Trump laughed the first time, laughed at, laughed about something. Uh, he may also. have. Yeah. Uh, so we started today's podcast uh, talking about Hunter Biden not having any balls, and we end with uh, Donald Trump inciting an erection. There you go, whatever that says. <laughs> it was a great podcast. It was a great roundtable. Uh, big thanks to Amanda Becker uh, from 19th News. Big thanks to Sadiq Reddy from Politico. And a big thanks to Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call, even though his internet crashed in the middle of it. And thanks to all of you for joining us this Friday morning. We will be back with you on Tuesday. Uh, Really looking forward to this. We're going to be talking with Congressman Jamie Raskin, who's the ranking Democrat on the House Oversight Committee. And you'll know he'll have a lot to say about that hearing on Hunter Biden, about the work of the Oversight Committee and the work of the Judiciary Committee as well. Jamie Raskin, joining us Tuesday on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then.